April 17, 1964, was the introduction of the Ford Mustang. Anybody remember that? Man, a 1964 midnight blue Mustang, to me, is the ultimate car. I would love to have a 64 Mustang. It's not going to happen, but I would love to have a 64 Mustang. And on that day, several events took place. Uh, just to show you kind of what happened, um, a Mustang had been chosen as a pace car for the stock car race in Alabama in Huntsville. When it drove on the track, literally thousands of people climbed over the wall to get a look at this car, delaying the race hours on end because they wanted to see this. Also, a cement truck crashed through a plate glass window in Seattle at a dealership when the driver lost control of his vehicle because he was staring at this Ford Mustang. A Chicago Ford dealer was forced to lock the doors of his showroom because of the models because so many people were trying to get in to see this car. And even in Texas, a Texas dealer put a new Mustang on a lift to show prospective buyers the underneath side of the Mustang, and the showroom was filled with so many people, had to leave it up there for a day, completely a day, and then one more. A New Jersey Ford dealer had only one Mustang to sell and 15 prospective buyers. So he auctioned off this one Mustang. The man who won the auction literally slept in the Mustang all night for fear he would sell to somebody else later. Now, my question is this, why? Why did they do all this? Why did people behave in such bizarre ways over a simple car? I mean, these men crammed into these showrooms and scaled retaining walls at races just to get a look at it. I mean, another guy slept in the car. Another man lost control of his vehicle. Another one, they did all this for what? A Ford Mustang. But it was the car they wanted to see, wasn't it? It was the car. They wanted the car. This car stood for everything that they wanted in a vehicle. Everything. About 20 years ago, a man in his 70s who kept a vintage Mustang in his shed, he only drove it on nice summer days. But otherwise, he kept it in the shed, and this car was in mint condition. It was the car of his dreams. He had literally fallen in love with this vehicle and his love for that car caused him to behave in ways that he had never behaved in his life. And so understand, it happens to us. This guy had, and these men had their eyes fixed on what? A car. An earthly thing. And they were, man, going nuts about it. But see, in the church that we're talking about in our scripture, the church at Colossae, they'd been visited by these teachers who tried to convince Christians, tried to convince believers that there were these rules and regulations that they could not change. And they would change them to be better Christians. That if they followed these rules and regulations that these men made, then they would be acceptable to God. Then they could go to heaven. But understand, Paul wrote this in Colossians 2.23. You'll remember it. It says, Such regulations lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I'm going to ask you a question. This 1964 Mustang, was it an indulgence? Oh yeah. Yeah, it was huge. Does it still happen today? Oh yeah. 
my brother and I went to a Cavs game Wednesday. It was a gift from my girls uh, for Father's Day. And I'm looking, on a Wednesday, 40,000 people filled this ballpark. As we were leaving, there's a bar called Muggsy's right on the corner where we were walking. And we didn't leave any early, but there was a line all the way out this door, around the block, just to get into this bar called Muggsy's. And I'm thinking, do you all not have jobs? I mean, 40,000 people cram into this stadium to watch the Cubs. And it's like, yeah, it's fun. It's cool. It's awesome. But aren't you all going to work tomorrow? It's like, I don't get it. I mean, I enjoy going to Cubs games. I like watching my TV. I'm doing all those things, but I'm not going to go worship the Cubs and all that's happening. Understanding chapter 3, what we're talking about. Paul's saying these rules and regulations, they're not going to make us any better than God has already made us. They can't make us better. Only Jesus can do that, right? We talked about that last week. But now in chapter 3, having said that, Paul explains this, and I want us to catch on to this. God does expect us to change. Okay? God does expect us to be different. God expects us to do things differently than we once did. He expects us to take off some things and put on something new, which is Jesus Christ. So there is that expectation of change, to be moral, to be pure, to be an upright person to treat people differently than the world is treating them. So we see what's going on. And God knows there's a better way to change us than by asking us to keep this list of do's and don'ts. But now Paul, he does make a list, okay? And I know Paul is telling us, and he's not contradicting himself. He says, you can't follow this list of rules and regulations, but he does give us a list of things that upset God. Things that God is literally telling him and telling us today that God does not like, that God doesn't want to see in our life. He's saying, put to death these things. Take them off. Throw them away. A list like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. He is saying this. If you want a list of things not to do, consider this list. Consider these things. Take a look at them. And what we need to do is we need to look at our lives and say, are there any of those things that are in our life right now? Is there anything that we are doing that's in that list? Because he's saying this list, God doesn't like. But understand, merely knowing what the list is will not change you. Okay, grab onto that. Merely knowing this list of sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filth, and language. Okay, you know the list. It's right here. But just knowing there's a list and knowing of the list doesn't change us. And we need to understand that. In fact, even if you stop doing all those things, you still wouldn't necessarily be acceptable to God. Because lists and rules, remember what Paul said? Like any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So by simply knowing the list and simply following the list doesn't make us a better person without Jesus. Okay? Without Jesus. In fact, if I focus on the evil things on the list, that list will dominate my thoughts. Okay, so if I... 
have this list and I'm going to tattoo it on my arm so I can see it and know what it is. So I'm going to have all these things listed. If I do that, in all reality, it's not going to make it any harder not to sin. But what it may do is if I focus on those all the time, well, I don't want to do this, this, and this, it's probably going to make me think about it more. It's probably going to make me do those things that I don't want to do. So think about it this way. I want you to look at this picture. Just take a look at it. This is Betsy. Okay, Josh and Allison's little girl. Okay, I know, she's cute. I got to hold her. I may have told you that. Now, do me a favor. Take a good look at the picture. Okay, I know she's cute, sweet, and she is cuddly. Holy cow. I want you to shut your eyes just for a minute. Trust me, I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to throw anything at you. Just think about it. What are you picturing? You seeing that baby? How cute it is? Why? Because I had you focus on that. Keep your eyes shut. Keep your eyes shut. Now, what about a big piece of pepperoni pizza? Or a big piece of your favorite pie? Or maybe that favorite steak fixed just right? What are you thinking about now? Some of you are saying, man, I'm hungry. Okay, you can open your eyes. You're saying you're hungry. Wake up. Come on. I, yeah, this is a short nap. Come on. See, what happens is when we look at the picture and we see the baby and the cuteness and that sticks in our heads, and if we completely focus on that, we're fine, and that's a good thing. But as soon as these other things start coming in, our minds start to wander a little bit. Now, some of you may be more disciplined than I am and think, no, 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 I thought of the baby. Yeah, you threw the other things in there, which is fine, but no, that baby was still on my mind, and the other ones are thinking, yeah, that piece of pie sounds pretty good right now. You know, some of you are going to go to Overpass for pizza because I've mentioned it. You know, it's one of those deals. I do that for a reason. When something fills our minds, like the list that we want to avoid, another way of saying it is this. That which you keep your eyes on is that which shapes your thinking. Does that make sense? That which we keep our eyes on, in other words, those things that we keep looking at, those things that we keep concentrating on, those things that we want to see, is what's going to shape our thinking. So many things in life will throw things at us. Look at this, look at that, do this, do that. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand, that when we're going to look at something and keep focusing on something, that's what's going to allow our thinking to go that direction. That's what Paul meant when he wrote this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, Paul wants us to keep our focus on Jesus Christ, keep our focus on heaven, keep our focus on eternal life with him, because one day we're all going to be there. One day we're going to have an opportunity to stand at the golden gates and stand before God and hopefully hear him say, good job, good and faithful servant, enter the kingdom. But I guarantee you, if our eyes are not focused on Jesus and on God and the things above, and we're always focused on things of earth, these things down here are going to be what's important to us. Not godly things. Not heavenly things. And that's what Paul wants us to grab onto. And in fact, he told us that we should put to death. Pretty strong words. 
Paul says we should put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature in verse 5. And we should rid ourselves of such things. Now again, I'm going to ask you a question. If you find a mouse in your house, what are you going to do to it? You're going to kill that bad boy. Why? One, the mouse is not wanted. Secondly, the mouse was not invited. So you're going to kill it, right? You catch the mouse, it dies. What are you going to do with it now? You're going to put it on your refrigerator and say, look what I did. You're going to put in a little Ziploc baggie and say, we'll just keep that for later. No, you throw it out. It goes into, well, in my case, I throw it in the field next to me. Okay, to take it out, throw it in the field. But I get rid of it right then. That's what Paul wants us to understand that when he says to get rid of these things, you don't put it on a tattoo. You don't put it on a refrigerator. You don't put it on and say, I'll do it later. I mean, if you leave trash in your house long enough, what's going to happen? It's going to rot. It's going to stink. It's going to smell up the whole house. You don't do that. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. These things we get rid of right now. So understand, when I put something to death that I didn't want in my life anymore and begin to deal with it, you know, how long do we keep it around the house? We don't. It's the same thing with this list. Don't focus on the evil earthly things of this life that God doesn't want to have in your life. And he didn't want us to have it to begin with. But we've allowed it to come in. We've allowed it to take center stage. We've allowed it to come into our hearts and into our minds. And when we allow those things to be focused on what happens, they become a part of our life. Just like everything else. What we need to do is those things that Paul lists, that list that he says consider these things, we need to get rid of them. Again, don't put them in a corner. Don't put them in your file cabinet. Don't stick them in your Bible and say, we'll get to those later, because sooner or later, it's going to get us. Sooner or later, it's going to be one of those deals. Paul says that put those old things to death. Take them off like old garments. Okay, so it's an, it's an actual change. But he says just not to put it to death. He just doesn't say to take it off, but he also says to put on something. What does he say to put on? Put on Christ. Put those things on that Christ wants us to have. So we're taking off the old self and we put on the new. How do I put on Christ? Well, Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's kind of an interesting custom in Africa that after these people are baptized, they actually take the clothes they were baptized in and they take them out and they burn them. Kind of symbolic of getting rid of the old. And then they put on this new white robe to symbolize their new life that they actually put on Christ. What Paul is telling us here in Colossians is that when we become Christians, when we accept Christ, we need to change our clothes. We need to change the old way of thinking, the old way of living. And we have these filthy garments and they need to be taken off and they need to be burned. Then we need to clothe ourselves with a different lifestyle. Being a different person. A lifestyle that glorifies Christ. Why? Because we have put Christ on like a new, beautiful garment. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I see a lady 
Go out and buy a new dress. They wear it, and how do they wear it? Pretty proud. Because they not only got the new dress, they got the new shoes. They only got the new shoes, they got the new purse. Now you got all this and they got a new bow for their hair, okay? You got the whole ensemble, so you wear it and you wear it proudly. And it's the same way with Christ. I need to be as excited about this new life in Christ as the owner of those early Mustangs when they drove them off the lot and drove them home. Do you remember how those people back in 1964 reacted to the Ford Mustang? They crammed showroom floors. They scaled walls to see this car. Another man lost control of the vehicle because he was staring at it so much. But when you and I first become Christians, there was this same excitement. There was the same excitement about who Christ was and what he was going to do in my life. But sooner or later, we allow the world to wear us down. We allow the world to do these things to us. And they just kind of come crashing in. And we allow this in a little bit. And we allow this in a little bit. And pretty soon, we not only allow it in, it's there, and we've put it on, and we wear it, and then pretty soon our focus is off of Jesus, and it's on earthly. But why do people react the way they do? I'm going to tell you right now, because Christ supplies what they needed in their lives at that time. When Christ supplies what we need, then we wear it proudly, and he sees us through, but as soon as something negative happens or another circumstance comes in that we don't like, Pretty soon we start focusing on the trouble, on the circumstance. And what happens? We focus on the earthly and not on the heavenly. And we forget what Christ does for us. It could be because they have always wanted another chance as new Christians. They want a fresh start in life. And they realize that once they become Christians, they have this new self, which is a renewed knowledge in the image of the Creator, in verse 10 says. They had this new self, a new start to a life that had been fouled up before, but we have a new opportunity. Or it could be that they realize that in becoming a Christian, they can gain the love of what they missed in life. Paul says, once we're baptized, in verse 12, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Let that sink in. We are God's chosen people. We're holy and dearly love. Once we realize what we've gained, once we realize that when we put on Christ, we can experience a constant state of excitement and thanksgiving just by putting Christ on because of who he is. But how do I know if I put Christ on successfully? Very quickly, I just want to give you another list that Paul gives us. A list of things that we should do. This is what he says. This is how we know we put Christ on. Don't lie to each other. Show compassion. Show kindness. Be humble. Be gentle. Show patience. Bear with one another. Forgive grievances. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be thankful. Sing songs of praise. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And over all these things, Paul says, put on love which binds all these together. Put on love. Do you recognize something all these things have in common that this list gives us? Don't lie, show compassion, show kindness, be humble, be gentle, show patience, all those things. What do they have in common? These are descriptions of how Christians should treat others. It's not only how we treat each other in the church, 
It's how we treat everybody. Tell each other the truth. Be compassionate, kind, patient, forgiving others. So think about this. I mean, really, is there anybody you're having trouble forgiving? I mean, truthfully? Anybody having trouble forgiving? Is there anyone who you have trouble speaking nice about? Is there anyone you're having trouble being kind and compassionate and gentle with? I know, I know you might say, well, they don't come to church here, or they don't go to church at all, so that rules them out. Can I tell you something? No, that doesn't. That's cheating, okay? It's everybody. That's how we treat other people. Notice what verse 13 says. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Without raising your hand, how many of us need Christ's forgiveness on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a moment-by-moment basis? That's how we're to forgive other people. Did God forgive you because you were in the right place? Did God forgive you because you deserve to be forgiven or because you were better than the person sitting next to you? So God's going to forgive you because your sin wasn't as big as the one next to you? Don't look at the person beside you. That's not a good thing. Don't size them up. Why did God forgive you? Because God is love. God forgave you when you were his enemy. God forgave you when you were self-centered and self-righteous. God forgave us even when we didn't deserve it. So the way you know if you put on Christ completely is when you can honestly look at someone who's offended you and forgive them. I mean truly forgive them. It's when you were willing to bear with them. The founder of the American Red Cross, Clara Barton, was reminded one day of a vicious deed that someone had done to her years before. But she acted as if the incident never happened. Somebody asked her, don't you remember it? Ask her friend. No, Barton said. I distinctly remember forgetting it. Did it go off her mind? No. But she distinctly remembered forgetting it. The beauty of becoming a Christian is that God gives us new life. A life freed from the filth and the shame and the guilt of our past. A life filled with God's love. A life filled with God's acceptance. There's nothing like it in this world that even compares. So when Paul asks us to keep our eyes on things above, not on things of this earth, that's what he's trying to get us to understand. That there's nothing on this earth that is more important. There's nothing on this earth that, earth that is more exciting. There's nothing on this earth that should be in our minds more than on heavenly things. Of what Christ wants, what Christ desires in our life. And you understand that he's talking about this relationship that we have with him. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship that Christ wants us to have. Yeah, he gives us a list. Don't do that garbage. Get rid of it. Throw it away. It's rotten. It stinks. And here's a list if you want to think about those things. But it's not even about the list. It's about Christ. 
It's about Christ glorified. It's about who Christ is in our life.